Welcome to Euroscopic, a podcast brief about less obvious issues of import. European-based, globally focused. I'm William Glucroft. And this is Martin Guck. This episode was recorded on Thursday, July 20th, 2023. Hi, Martin. Hey. So, uh, a lot to talk about, really. Definitely yeah. start with the lion thing. I mean, it's fun. It's stupid and fun. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, yeah, I mean. I'm sure by the time this podcast uh, is posted, we're going to have a lot more answers. We'll know where the lion or the lioness is. Um, but as the point of this at the point of this recording, uh, this is the big story gripping the center of Europe in Berlin. An entire police section of the Berlin police chasing uh, an apparent lioness. Uh, I mean, uh, we don't even know if it really is a lion, but apparently the last thing I read was uh, the police have made a sighting of uh, of said lion. They don't know where it's come from or where it's going or if it had a fight with a with a wild boar. Berlin has, um, yes. you know, for being for being a city, Berlin has quite a, a few run ins with wild animals. You know, the famous story a couple of years ago was uh, that wild boar stealing uh, an overweight naked man's uh, laptop at a lake in Berlin. And that made quite a, that was yes, quite a it fun was... summer story. And this seems to be actually a phenomenon happening around Europe, that there is a return uh, of wilderness, if not to wilderness, certainly, certainly uh, of wilderness. Italy has seen actually uh, new attacks of, of bears. Uh, which mm. had been essentially extinct or had been gone for uh, the better part of two centuries uh, or a century and a half. Sort of the run-in of human of human development and and wild animals as we just keep expanding and expanding and expanding and growing and growing and growing. It has climate and, and ecological and, and biodiversity impacts, um, which again, I don't think that I don't think this lion, whenever uh, we figure out where it's come from and, and what the situation is, is quite so much that story, but it does bring to mind, you know, as you say, this this kind of run in between wildlife and and humans. It's very clear that we are in the middle of uh, what the Germans call the Sommerloch, the the yes. summer uh, the summer little doldrums. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, they're really just latching to any story that might pop up. Uh, meanwhile, of course, we sit directly in front of a, um, you know, a coming wave of far right politics across Europe. Uh, we just had two major uh, political political moves that took place in, in Brussels over the last really just six days. One was the signature of a deal with Tunisia, uh, which is actually meant to be extended through the through the Maghreb. Um, we covered this. Pretty briefly. shocking, this story. It was actually uh, the EU has offered now uh, 1 billion euros to Tunis to take care of controlling uh, flow uh, migration flow into Europe. Uh, it's really a remarkable amount of money for a country that is in with very high levels of corruption, not to mention a dismal record of human rights. Actually put into question, you know, um, pretty much every claim that Europe likes to make about itself and its values. Well, of course, as, you know, it values for whom, right? I mean, we, we, we can go back a few months to when uh, the EU's de facto, uh, you know, top diplomat, Josep Borrell, made that beautiful comment about, you know, protecting the, the garden from the, the, the savage jungle outside. 
which he tried to walk back to try to not make it sound like the colonial imperial racist uh, comment that it actually was. Uh, but of course, it's not great to be comparing, you know, Europe to the garden and the rest of the world to the jungle. You made the point that as I was uh, bemoaning the fact that uh, the deal with the Tunisians is essentially uh, the upper hand of the far right in countries like Italy and in countries like Hungary uh, in the international policy line of the EU, because essentially what they're doing now is outsourcing repression, torture, and border control, uh, right. which is something that the Europeans wouldn't want to have their hands dirty with. But it's very clear that as Turkey did in its, at its time and, and, and Libya uh, did under the auspices of European money, uh, they have absolutely no qualms about that. Now, the thing that you pointed out, and I think, um, you know, I take I take fully to heart, is that that was actually Libya and Turkey happened under the, the watchful eye uh, of the very upright um, Merkel, Merkel Hollande, Macron, really the first Macron uh, period. So I think that what we're seeing in a way is really just um, the European center uh, is essentially taking the opportunity of having you know, a bunch of far-right post-fascist parties, I mean, particularly the case of Fratelli d'Italia, uh, which is quite literally that, uh, to basically, you know, in my understanding, have somebody to pin the blame on for what is yeah. going to probably happen in Tunis and in the Mediterranean. It's, it's I mean, the far-right, the rise of the far-right over the last decade, let's say, it really is a gift to the so-called center um of 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 european politics because it is just a way to to export to 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 put all of your own biases and bigotries and and racist thoughts onto the other you know the, those baddies uh but really they're just they're saying out they're saying the quiet part out loud that bad part which is being said out loud it's not being just said by sort of coalition governments which are composed of like good center right and good center left in in capital right. city I mean, a lot of this is actually being discussed by the left. I mean, the left, people like uh, Saddam Wagenknecht in, in, in Germany, people like the, the Gilets Jaunes, which actually many of them came from the left, are people that have a very strong position on first labor protectionism and then issues concerning protectionism at, lar at, at large, including cultural protectionism, that completely jibes with the sort of discourse of keep them, you know, keep them, uh, keep them away from the gates. The 10% mark of far right parties is something that uh, is very stable until you have the kind of, uh, you know, bad weather, bad political and economic weather that will make a sizable portion of the left coalesce on agenda items such as, you know, the need of more infrastructure, the need of better care, the need of a more a stronger presence of the state. And the political spectrum is, is just a circle. It just meets back up at the other end. I mean, as you've pointed out, there's in some po policy areas, there's very little difference between the left and the right. Um, and that's certainly not just a European phenomenon. You see that in the United States. I mean, it's it's not it is not a surprise that so many, you know, Trump supporters had a lot of sympathies for Bernie Sanders and vice versa. And it's not a surprise that in 2016, the two most popular candidates uh, were neither really Republican or a Democrat. My perception, uh, having been, you know, involved in, in essentially professionally observing this process across really quite a few countries. I mean, Latin America, I come from Argentina. Uh, where I have seen massive swings, wild swings. In general, I think that the political spectrum 
is a sort of spectrum and it is somewhat stable. I think that the problem, however, is that it's fluid and people tend to forget this, which is the story of how, you know, uh, large sections of the voting public of Toscana, of Tuscany, which is traditionally a communist heartland, uh, went Salvini during the, the pre-selection. A lot of it was actually coming out of communist centers and communist associations, which were actually completely convinced that, you know, Nigerians were taking their jobs and, and so on and so forth. This is actually really quite remarkable because many of the people that were communists that voted for Salvini were people that, I mean, I, I, I know some of them who were swearing 15 years ago were swearing on their parents or their you know partisan parents graves <laughs> that they would never actually give a single vote ever to the lega any lega and and there you have them right 15 years later it is simply the case that we have actually uh, a point of friction between incoming populations and established populations and not a small part of that uh, is essentially what has become uh, a struggle for resources. I mean, in Germany, as far as I'm concerned, the culprit of the emergence of the AfD is not Merkel herself, which, you know, I think it's more of, a, I think of her as more of a, of a spiritual guide. Uh, but I think that it was Schäuble. Schäuble was the finance minister oh, sure. who actually, with massive, massive surplus, a surplus that was actually breaking the European Union's rules on surplus, mm -hmm. still refused to disimburse money to actually build uh, infrastructure. I mean, you have to keep in mind, and for those who are listening to us who do not know, you have entire areas of Saxony, entire areas of Saxon-Anhalt, entire areas of Magdeburg, hey, of Magdeburg, sorry, of, of Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which is the, the state to the north against Poland, which are completely and thoroughly underserved by the state i mean if you, you just can look at if, if you just take a look at the um the rail map of deutsche bahn and we can spend a whole podcast talking about the failures of the german national rail company but for the purposes of this point you see the what used to be west germany covered in rails in rail mm -hmm. in rail networks and you get to the east the further you get east it gets sparser and sparser and sparser and sparser and then you yeah. wonder why, you know, why people feel isolated and why people can't get to cities and can't connect with people. And there's no, there's no real excuse for being a, a, an outright racist. Uh, and as to use your example to, you know, hate on the Nigerians for stealing their jobs that you can you can see where that becomes a slippery slope. Uh, and there's this sense, not only a sense, but in some ways, very real deficit of resources and deficit of infrastructure. When, as you rightly point out, it's not like Germany's lacking the money. Uh, to invest in its infrastructure. Well, this this is a perverse side of it, right? I mean, this is a, it's not that they couldn't stop the emergence of a far right, which actually had, as in every other case, uh, sort of a search, a desperate search for a populist niche that they could pull on, which was obviously it's going to be 90% of the times, essentially economic, economic disenfranchisement. It's a lot to do with the Blairite Clintonite tradition that then produced things like, you know, Zapatero and produced things like Schroeder with his reforms. And in France produced people like Hollande, which now whose economic minister was Macron pushing some of the reforms they that he had proposed and, and couldn't, he pushed them now. People that are traditional voters for the left that will tell you things like no hospital beds for my parents, no school, you know, no school for my kids, no aid from the state. And then when I turn to politics on the left, they tell me that I really should be discussing pronouns. Yeah, I understand that you don't have food to eat, but first let's settle the issue of whether you're a he or a she. Obviously, I mean, in that kind of context, 
what you have is not just sort of a, a completely skewed sense of priorities, um, which then, if you want, like Hillary Clinton, you can cover by shouting, you know, the deplorables uh, at your own risk, at your or own political risk. Libya, one or the other. Or, or bomb Libya in order to actually produce, produce a more general sense of, you know, cohesion, which Germany, of course, would not do. France does it every so often, but not at regular intervals like the US. The point here is that you're not only offering a skew set of political priorities, what you're also doing is essentially telling these people that you're potential voters, your potential voters, that they are now political orphans to the voter in Saxony, to the voter in Nantes, to the voter in Andalusia, to the voter in the middle of Denmark, Sweden, or Finland, which also has now actually far right party in government. It, this is absolutely exotic, has absolutely no relation with their political immediate needs. Over many years, this has produced exactly what we're seeing now. People that think, well, this is the only sensible alternative to find a conduit for my political concerns. People might be wondering, why are we talking about things that have, are decades past uh, for what's ostensibly supposed to be about what's going on this week? But you can, these things never leave us. There are stories this week that hark ba harken back to those times. I mean, I saw, I thought it was very funny to see a report come out in Germany from a medical association say thinking, hey, you know, with climate change, with things getting hotter, maybe it's actually a good idea to adopt this siesta like culture that we see in southern Europe uh, right. also here in Germany. And you had Karl Lauterbach, the health minister, uh, you know, you know, latch onto this idea and say, yeah, this is a good idea. Well, you know, 10, 20 years ago when Schäuble was in power, it, he was one of the main voices that really stoked this idea of the lazy Southern European during the financial crisis, during the debt crisis, Absolutely. that they had to, you know, do away with their pensions. They had to do away with a lot of their social welfare. So they had to work harder. They had to work longer, like the so-called productive Northern Europeans and certainly the Germans. And here we are, you know, what we didn't, what, 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 what Germany didn't learn from, from the financial crisis, uh, we're learning here now from the climate crisis, which, you know, maybe, maybe taking a break in the middle of the day is a, not the worst Worst idea. And that just came out this week. I just found that such an interesting turn of of, of fates. I mean, I will say that as a lazy southerner um, who gets actually a slight tan, um, I can absolutely thoroughly endorse the siesta. I would actually invite all, all our uh, listeners to actually try it. The issue here is not paying back. The issue here is debt maintenance. How do we make a, de a debt that we can maintain? Greece could not maintain the debt, could not actually service the debt as it was as it was presented. Um, because obviously what you want is not somebody to give you a bunch of cash and then you spend it over the next like, you know, a couple of days in booths and, and, and cookies. I mean, what you want is somebody to be latching, latching onto your system with a subscription. And that's exactly what a debt system, a debt servicing system is. Now, the reason why this is interesting, it's because 10 years later, what we have is basically these same systems of austerity, these same systems, discourse of austerity, discourse of laziness and productivity has essentially, in my calculation in any case, has essentially sort of given fruit to a new wave of far-right of far right mm -hmm. political parties, which was, well, if these people are going to treat you like low lives, if the political system and go along with the argument coming out of Paris and Berlin that you are essentially lazy bastards that cannot get away from the USA bottle, then we're going to give you a political home and we're going to use this 
this, this political force in whatever way we see fit. This is actually happening across Europe. This is the story with Fratelli d'Italia. This is the story with Vox, which will probably be part of the next Spanish government because the PP cannot govern by itself. So they will need to go into coalition and they will probably take as a minority, as a minority partner Vox, which is essentially a fascist party. So this is, I think, to a large degree, the product of that historical arc. It's such an, a fantastical lack of, of responsibility and lack of accountability. Uh, you know, from mainstream parties, center left, center right, these parties that have dominated the post-war period, you know, not taking account of things that did not go so well in their perfect idea of this sort of market-driven liberal world that we live in. And then, you know, rather than taking stock when these far-right parties start popping up, they, oh, maybe there's a reason that there's so much resonance here. Uh, maybe we should be figuring this out. You know, just a kid, again, just using these parties as a foil, dumping, you know, kind of continuing this whole idea of laziness in a different way. Like, it, well, it's clearly your fault, the voters. You know, yeah, for sure. There is definitely a subset of people who are just downright racist and do not like people who are not like them. Absolutely, there are those kinds of people. Uh, that's not enough to really see the kinds of numbers, either in polling data or in actual voting results. The number of people who are just outright racist and you can't change their minds um that's not enough that will maybe get you to five percent maybe ten right, exactly. percent exactly. but it's not enough exactly. to get you into power um right so and, this and, is precisely and... my point yeah precisely yeah. my point there is really just one single key to this you call people a basket of deplorables in whatever version of deplorable sort of lazy stupid input unproductive uh, not not enlightening enough not like you know woke not enough cosmopolitan enough not cosmopolitan enough, exactly, at your own risk, at your own risk. You're essentially, they are telling you with incredible clarity what are their pains. And essentially you're saying, screw you, not my problem. Get on with the program. We're talking about like prepositions. We're talking about pronouns. You know, it's just amazing to me how empirically, how much of an empirical failure austerity is and has been and it is still political, a politically salient uh, and winnable issue. We see that in Germany with the FDP being in power, the Free Democrats running the finance ministry, slashing the German budget. I think it's really funny when, you know, we hear, especially in Germany, about, you know, die fette Jahren sind vorbei, you know, the good years are over. It's like, when were there good years? When, does, when, when did Germany spend money? This idea that there was some kind of past where Germany, the recent past anyway, where Germany spent a lot of money lavishly on its infrastructure. That was never the case. And now we have, we're trying to, you know, we're being sold this narrative that those lavish times need to be over. We have to start, you know, tightening our belt. When was Germany's belt ever loose? And I really fear, I really fear the, you know, the upcoming budget cuts from health, family, uh, infrastructure, uh, whether you're into climate change or not, maybe you just like to take trains for other reasons. You don't just have to be a like a, a you know, a, a do good or tree hugging environmentalist to like trains, um, you know, cutting or at least, main, you know, in terms of in, at least when accounting for inflation, cutting uh, the budget for train infrastructure, other kinds of things like this. It's it, it really makes me wonder what the just as we saw a decade ago, what the impacts are now, what the impacts now will be a decade from now. I mean, I think that we know what's coming with it because you know i mean and people should be particularly concerned because a politically unstable germany i think it's really quite literally the very last thing that 
anybody should want. There's still plenty more to discuss, but uh, every again, everything that happened this week will be developing next week. I'm sure we're still going to be talking about the far right, uh, but I think that during the summer we also need to talk about the European coast and the 50 degree uh, super tanning, uh, super tanning machine that Europe has become. Yeah, I'm staying in uh, I'm staying in Berlin uh, for the summer where uh, it's only it's only 28 degrees as opposed to what it should be uh, and not 35 or 40, at least not yet. Uh, at least at so. least not yet. At least not yet. Indeed. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Euroscopic Podcast Brief. You can get it anywhere your ears go for podcasts. And if you want more, you can subscribe at our Substack, euroscopic.substack.com. We'll catch you there soon.